Chapter Five of And So They Were Married by Florence Moores Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Michelle Eaton. As the twenty-first day of June drew on apace, fate, in the slim, active personality of Miss Evelyn Tripp, appeared to have taken the entire North household firmly in hand. Events marched on in orderly, if surprising sequence, beginning with the issuing of the invitations, bearing the name of Boston's most expensive firm of engravers, on the flap of the inner envelope. Everyone looks for that the very first thing, Miss Tripp had announced conclusively, and one simply couldn't have the name of a department store or a cheap engraver. The correct Miss Tripp shuddered at the awful picture. But these are so much more expensive than I had expected, demurred Mrs. North with a worried sigh. I had intended ordering them at Cooper's, they do them just as well there. Don't they sometimes leave off the name? Miss Tripp bestowed a pitying smile upon the questioner. Indeed they do, dear Mrs North, she replied indulgently. But that is merely a subterfuge. One always suspects the worst when there is no name. It pays to have the best. This latter undeniable dictum was found to be entirely applicable to every detail of the forthcoming festivities and involved such a multiplicity of expensive items that Grandma Carroll was openly indignant, and her more pliant daughter reduced to a state of bewildered apathy. "'I've been wanting to say to you for a long time, Miss Phipps, that our Lizzie isn't a fashionable girl, and that her father is a poor man and can't afford such doings,' Mrs Carroll protested in no uncertain tones. "'Now, I can't for the life of me see why we should have an organist from Boston to play the wedding march when Liddy Green can do it just as well.' and her feelings is going to be hurt if she doesn't. And as for a florist from Newton Centre to decorate the church, the young folks in the Sunday school will be glad to go to the woods after greens, and they'll put em up for nothing. It's going to cost enough, the land knows, but there's no use of piling up unnecessary expenses. Miss Tripp smiled willingly upon the exasperated old lady. Nothing is too good for dear Elizabeth now, she murmured. And you know, dear Mrs Carroll, that a number of Boston people will be here, Mrs Van Duser, we hope, and others. Grandma Carroll fixed piercing eyes upon the indefatigable Evelyn. Of course you mean well, she said crisply, but if I was you I'd take a rest. I'm afraid you're getting all tuckered out doing so much, and considering that you ain't any relation, I guess I'd let Lizzie's own folks tend to the wedding from now on. There was no mistaking the meaning of this plain speech. For an instant, Evelyn Tripp's faded cheeks glowed with mortified colour. Then she recovered herself with a shrug of her elegant shoulders. Who, after all, was Mrs Carroll to interfere in this unwarranted manner? It is so sweet of you to think of poor little me, dear Mrs Carroll, she said caressingly, and indeed I am worn almost to a fringe. But I am promising myself a good long rest after everything is over. Nothing would induce me to leave dear Elizabeth now. She couldn't possibly get along without me. She dropped a forgiving kiss on top of Grandma Carroll's cap and flitted away before that justly indignant lady could reply. Miss Tripp was right. It would have been impossible for the unsophisticated Norths to have completed the arrangements for the entirely correct wedding which Miss Tripp had planned and was carrying through in the face of unnumbered obstacles. As to the motives which upheld her in her altruistic efforts in behalf of Elizabeth North, Miss Tripp was not entirely clear. It is not always desirable, if possible, to classify and label one's actual motives, and Miss Tripp, for one, rarely attempted the task. A vague emptiness of purpose, a vast weariness of the unending routine, of her own somewhat disappointing career, a real, 
if superficial kindness of heart, and back of all, an entirely unacknowledged ambition to attain to that sacred inner circle of Boston society wherein revolved the august Mrs. Mortimer Van Duser, with other less luminaries about the acknowledged hub of the universe, toward which Miss Tripp had hitherto gravitated like a humble asteroid, small, unnoticed, yet aspiring. One of the irreproachable invitations had been duly sent to Mrs. Van Duser, but as yet there had been no visible token that it had been received. "'Won't you ask Mr. Brewster if he will not add a personal invitation?' entreated Miss Tripp of the bride-elect, who had appeared alarmingly indifferent when the importance of this hoped-for guest was duly set forth in her hearing. "'You don't seem to realise what it would mean to you both to have Mrs. Van Duser present.' let me persuade him to write or perhaps better to call one cannot be too attentive to a person in her position but sam brewster had merely laughed and pulled the little curl behind his sweetheart's ear when she spoke of mrs van duser really i don't care whether the old lady comes or not he said without meaning any disrespect she's a stiff uncomfortable sort of person you wouldn't like her betty i went there to dinner once and my word it was enough for me but persisted Elizabeth, mindful of Miss Tripp's solemn exhortations. If she's a relation of yours, oughtn't you to? She was mother's second cousin, I believe. Not much of a relation to me, you see. And seriously, little girl, we can't travel in her class at all. We don't want to, even if we could. But why? demanded Elizabeth, slightly piqued by his tone. Don't you think I am good enough? You are a hundred times too good, in my opinion and the young engineer kissed the pouting lips with an earnestness which admitted of no teasing doubts. It's only that Mrs. Van D. is rich and proud and, er, uh, queer, and that she won't take any notice of us. I'm glad you sent her an invitation, though. That was a civil acknowledgement of a slight obligation on my side. I hope she won't send us a present, and I don't believe she will. The two were examining the bewildering array of glittering objects which had been arriving steadily for a week past, by mail and express, in cases left by Boston firms, and in dainty boxes tied with white ribbons from nearby friends and neighbours. The nebulous reports of Elizabeth's wedding outfit circulated from mouth to mouth, and expanding in rainbow tints as they travelled, were reflected in the shining cut glass and silver, which was spread out before the wondering eyes of the young couple. When Aunt Miranda Carroll heard that Elizabeth's trousseau included a dozen of everything, all hand-embroidered, a lace wedding dress that cost over a hundred dollars, and a pale blue velvet dinner gown lined with taffeta. She instantly abandoned the idea she had in mind of four dozen fine cotton sheets, six dozen pillow slips, and fifty good substantial hook towels in favour of a cut glass punch bowl of gigantic proportions. It would be just the thing for parties in Boston, her daughter Marianne thought. And Uncle Caleb North, at the urgent advice of his wife, who had heard in the meantime from Aunt Miranda, exchanged his cheque for a hundred dollars for a chest of silver knives with mother-of-pearl handles. They looked so much richer than the cheque, which would have to be concealed in an inconspicuous envelope. Following the shining example of Aunt Miranda and Uncle Caleb, other relatives of lesser substance contributed cut glass bowls and dishes of every conceivable design and for every known contingency silver forks and spoons of singular shapes and sizes, suggesting elaborate coarse luncheons and fashionable dinners, while of lace-trimmed and embroidered centrepieces and doilies there was a plenitude which would have set forth a modest linen draper. 
fragile vases, hand-painted fans, perfume bottles, silver trifles of unimagined uses, sofa pillows, and gilt clocks crowded the tables and overflowed onto the floor and mantelpiece. Elizabeth surveyed the collection with sparkling eyes. Aren't they lovely, she demanded, slipping her hand within her lover's arm. And aren't you surprised, Sam, to see how many friends we have? Yes, I am. Awfully surprised, acknowledged the young man. His brows were drawn over meditative eyes as he examined a shining carving set with impossible ivory handles. What are we going to do with them all? he propounded at length. Do with them? Why, use them, I suppose, responded Elizabeth vaguely. Do see these darling little cups, all golden roses, and these coffee spoons with enamelled handles. These make eight dozen coffee spoons, Sam. Huh, mused the unappreciative engineer. We might set up a restaurant as far as coffee spoons go. Elizabeth was bending rapturously over a lace fan, sewn thick with spangles. I feel so rich with all these lovely things, she murmured. I never dreamed of having so many. She made such an exquisite picture in her glowing youth, amid the sparkling glitter of the dainty trifles, that it is little wonder that Samuel Brewster lost his usually level head for the moment. You ought always to have all the pretty things you want, darling, he whispered, for you are the prettiest and sweetest girl alive. Later in the day, the ubiquitous Miss Tripp was discovered in the act of artfully concealing Mrs. Carroll's gift, made by her own faithful hands, under a profusion of lace-edged doilies, lately arrived from a distant cousin. There, she exclaimed with an air of relief. Those big gingham aprons and the dish-towels and dusters did look so absurd with all the other lovely things they won't show now. And she planted a silver fern dish in the midst, and surveyed the effect with her head tilted thoughtfully. Wasn't it quaint of Mrs. Carroll to make all those useful things? You can give them to your maid afterward. They always expect to be found in aprons nowadays, if not frocks. Really, I draw the line at frocks, with the wages one is obliged to pay, and I should advise you to. I'm not going to have a maid, said Elizabeth. I can cook, and I like to. Miss Tripp whirled about and caught the girl in her arms with an amused laugh. You dear romantic child, she cried. Did it have the prettiest dreams about love in a cottage, and the young wife with her sleeves rolled up, cooking delicious impossibilities for a doting husband? That's all very well, my dear, but seriously, it won't do in a Boston apartment house. You won't have a minute to yourself after the season once begins, and of course, after a while you'll be expected to entertain, quite simply, you know, a luncheon or two with cards, possibly a dinner, you can do it beautifully with all these lovely things for your table. I'll help you, so don't get frightened at the idea. But fancy your doing all that without a maid. You mustn't think of it, and I am sure dear Mrs. Van Duser will give you the same advice. The soft pink in Elizabeth's cheeks deepened to rose. Mrs. Van Duser isn't coming to the wedding, she said, in a faintly defiant tone. Oh, did she send you? She sent regrets, said Elizabeth coldly. Miss Tripp's eyebrows expressed the profoundest disappointment. I am so sorry, she murmured, suddenly aware that she was exceedingly weary of the North wedding. It will spoil everything. I can't see why, returned Elizabeth with spirit, not realising that Miss Tripp's comment applied solely to her own feelings. It won't prevent my being married to Sam, and Sam says he is glad she is not coming. She must be a stiff, pokey sort of a person, and I am sure it will be pleasanter without her. She isn't hardly any relation to Sam anyway, and I don't think I care to know her. 
"'My dear,' expostulated Miss Tripp, "'you'll see things very differently some day, I hope, "'and I am glad to say that these relationships do count in Boston, "'if not in other parts of the world, "'and you cannot prevent people from knowing that they exist.' "'Like a skilful general, Miss Tripp was sweeping her field clear of her disappointment, "'preparatory to marshalling her forces for a new campaign. "'Did Mrs. Van Duser send cards, or did she?' She wrote a note, a stiff, disagreeable note. Would you mind showing it to me, dear? Elizabeth produced a thick white envelope from the little embroidered pocket at her belt. You may read it, she said. Then I mean to tear it up. Miss Tripp bent almost worshipful eyes upon the large square sheet. Mrs. J. Mortimer Van Duser, she read, begs to convey her acknowledgments to Dr. and Mrs. North for their invitation to the marriage of their daughter, and regrets that she cannot be present. Mrs. Van Duser begs to add that she will communicate further with Mr. and Mrs. Samuel Brewster upon their arrival in Boston, upon a matter of moment to them both. Isn't that a disagreeable-sounding note? demanded Elizabeth, her pretty chin tilted at an aggressive angle. I just know I shouldn't like her from that letter, but I'm sure I can't think what she wants to say to us upon our arrival in Boston. My dear, exclaimed Miss Tripp, with a horrified stare. What can you be thinking of? That note is in the most perfect form. I am so glad you showed it to me. Something of moment to you both. What can it mean but a gift? Perhaps a generous cheque, and undoubtedly a reception to introduce you. My dear, Mrs. Van Duser is said to be worth millions, and what is more, and far, far better, she moves in the most exclusive society. You dear, lucky girl, I congratulate you upon the recognition you have received. Tear it up, indeed. You will do nothing of the sort. I'll put it here, right by this cut-glass vase, where everyone will see it. Elizabeth pouted. Mother didn't like it, she said, and Grandma laughed over it, and Sam told me to forget it. I don't see why you... Because I know, intoned Miss Tripp solemnly. I only hope you won't forget poor little me, when you're fairly launched in Mrs. Van Duser's set. Elizabeth gazed reflectively at her friend. Oh, I couldn't forget you, she said. You've been so good to me. But, she added, with what Miss Tripp mentally termed delicious naivete, I don't suppose we shall give many large parties just at first. End of chapter 5 Recording by Michelle Eaton